Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And Ethan, on this podcast, we go through AFI's top 100 list of American films until we get to number one. Until we get to number one. And man, we are making some serious progress. We sure are. We are on number 60. So we've seen 41 films. 1933's Duck Soup. Duck Soup. Which everyone loves because Zeppo Marx is in it. Is that why people love it? Because I, of Zeppo? No. Zeppo is terrible as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> He's in it. You know what? But let me why? let me tell you this about Zeppo Marx. I when I watched the credits, I was like, oh, Zeppo's in this one. I don't know if he was in the last one. And I finished the film and then I thought, wait a second. Who the fuck was Zeppo? Which one was Zeppo? Zeppo's his advisor, right? The yeah, he's war counselor. But he looks nothing like the other Marx brothers. I he's see a little Harpo one. in him. A little Harpo. Ethan? Yes, Matt. What would you say to a plot synopsis? <laughs> well, get ready for a... Get ready? Am I Barbara <laughs> Walters? Get ready for a wild ride. Duck Soup is the story of Rufus T. Firefly, who is chosen to rule the bankrupt country of Fredonia. Mrs. Teasdale, a rich widow, insists on his appointment in order for him to let... No, I gotta say that again. Mrs. Teasdale, a rich widow, insists on his appointment in order for her to lend them the money needed to keep the country afloat. However, Trinito, the ambassador from the neighboring country of Sylvania, is attempting to stage a revolution and marry Teasdale for her money. He sends bumbling spies Chicolino and Pinky to speed up the revolution. Chicolino and Pinky fail, unsurprisingly, and Firefly instigates a duel with Trinito, spurring war between the two nations. Teasdale has a safe containing plans for war, which Chicolino and Pinky fail to steal. War breaks out after the Congress breaks into song, and chaos ensues. Trinito ends up stuck in the door of a house like a stockade, and the film ends with him being pelted by fruit by the Marx Brothers. Teasdale begins to sing us out with the national anthem of Fredonia, and is also pelted with fruit. Yeah, so this is probably your most succinct plot synopsis ever because this film is only an hour and eight minutes long. <laughs> and nothing happens. There and is barely a plot. nothing happens. I mean, this is not much of a departure from the last Marx Brothers film that we watched in which the plot, again, is very loosely presented in order to just be a vehicle for the Marx Brothers yet again. I agree that it's not much different in terms of plot in that it doesn't matter, similar to A Night at the Opera. But I would say that this is actually a worse film. I didn't want to be the one to say it. I I really do <laughs> think the other one was better. I'm sorry. So we'll probably get into why this film is higher on the list and seen as better by the AFI Film Institute yeah. when we get to our three questions. But first, let's talk a little bit about things going on. So Ethan, do you have any themes for us to deal with? Oh my gosh. Well, the ever-present theme, I think, with the Mark brother, Marx brothers is, of course, chaos. Chaos is their preferred medium, their preferred mode, their preferred way of living in the world. Yeah, and I mentioned in our part eight of our rundown 
that they're just little pan gods that create chaos and then eventually make order at the end. Yeah. But in this film, that's less the case than Night at the Opera because though they yeah. do restore Fredonia's independence, it's still Rufus T. Firefly, which grabs her marks, in charge. And that's not a great thing, right? Right. This and and let's just let me just put this out here. This film ends with essentially a non-ending. I mean, I guess the war is over, but it, it 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 we sort of start out in chaos and we when we end in chaos. I mean, there's not really any order restored, which we definitely see in Night at the Opera. Night at the Opera definitely does have a sort of uh resolution of sorts whereas this really doesn't. Yeah, the secondary characters in Night at the Opera actually are restored to their rightful position, and the Marx yes. Brothers facilitate that. But in this, Rufus T. Firefly is the one that assumes power after the money troubles of Fredonia, and Teasdale demands the resignation of the current president, ruler, whomever. And so Chaos begins the film, and it still ends with him in charge, which, you know, it's not the status quo. It's not fixing things. Matt, can I just say this? What is this movie about? <laughs> you know, I'm really not sure. I think you're right in saying it's a vehicle for the Marx Brothers, but there are whole scenes. I'm thinking specifically of the popcorn and lemonade vendor scenes yes. in which they have absolutely no place in the film, but they're just no. there anyway. It's like I'm watching really early sketch comedy or something. Yes, I think that's a really good way to put this. And that's and that's why I think that this plot is so light. It, it it serves as a vehicle to set up Chico and um, Harpo, who is Pinky. Um, Chico is if you couldn't if you couldn't figure it out is Chico Lino. That would be like if my if I was a character in a film and my name was Ethaniel. Right, right. <laughs> um, but it, you know it's set up. They're spies, and I guess they have to sit out front of the build the the Congress building in Fredonia with the with the popcorn and the peanuts and the lemonade. It, it's just a reason to get them out in the world. Yeah. And I'll say this part of the reason I dislike this film more than night, the opera. I really did like night, the opera. And that was my first experience with the Marx brothers. I agree with you. I mean, I had a great time with night at the opera. It did get a little tedious at times and a little long, um, but it, I felt like that one paid off very well. This one is chaos from the beginning and is chaos at the end. And it, it, the film ended and I sat there and I went, is that, that's it? It's over? Yeah. Okay. I also think there's less Groucho in this film. Less like yes. good Groucho. Yeah. I can see why this thing is placed highly. We'll talk about that later, as I mentioned. But Groucho's talking so much slower and yeah this is before night at the opera right this is two years before so mm-hmm. i think this is just kind of an issue of maybe they haven't quite found the perfect combination yet like i think of that scene in night at the opera where they keep stuffing people into that room, the room. on the ship and that's just so funny or the contract reading between harpo mm-hmm. and groucho where this i really didn't find as many scenes that i said okay that's as funny as some of the stuff at night of the opera or as impressive. So yeah. And, and there are, there are bits that are funny, but they're funny because of the absolute absurdity of it. Uh, Pinky or Harpo has this recurring joke where he just cuts shit off of people. Yeah. 
for some reason, which I thought was funny, but it doesn't, there's no reason for him to want to do that. It's just a gag. It's just a gag that happens again and again and again, which is, again, like you said, it's like a sketch comedy show with almost no plot to back it up. But really, a sketch comedy show that's really dependent on slapstick and physical comedy. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas Night at the Opera, it definitely had those. They are mostly located in uh, Harpo, right? Mm-hmm. But now, you in Night at the Opera, you also have Groucho to back that up with these really funny scenes with Chico playing kind of like the straight man or like this like sort of dumber character. Which we yeah. still get here, but it's just not at the same level. It's not firing on all cylinders to me. Yes, and I wonder how much of that is uh, wrapped up in, again, the troubled production. And I, if I remember correctly, Night at the Opera also had a little bit of an issue with that in terms of production. Um, but this one, the the bit that I read on the internet was that this production was quite troubled. It seemed to me from what I read that the Marx brothers were ready to be done with Paramount. They had a contract. This was their last film in the contract and it was about getting it done. Mm. So they made the basic requirement, which is an hour long film. Yeah. I mean, it's an hour and eight minutes, (laughs) which, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a really short, succinct film, but I really didn't find as much fun as I had night at the opera. I think in fact, in transitioning us to our pivotal scene, the only thing, because there really is no pivot in this film at all, mm-hmm. the only thing I found I could really point to and say, let's call this the pivot because this is kind of Marx Brothers and Marx Brothers form, yeah. is the trial of Ciccolini. Yes. Where actually it's Groucho that is kind of setting him up and it's Chico actually knocking down the joke. So. That yeah. was a weird sort of inversion for me. I guess I'm more used to Groucho being the jokester, but it's actually a bunch of wordplay by Ciccolino, Ciccolini, the character, right? Yeah, and I read, too, that they recycle a joke in this one from the from the previous film. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the, the joke about... Uh, it's this one. So this joke that gets recycled is, is from... Horse Feathers, which is one of the previous films, and I think it may be the film right before this, where the prosecutor asks Ciccolini, he says, isn't it true you sold Fredonia's secret war code and plans? And Ciccolini says, sure, I sold a code and two pairs of plans, as a coat and two pairs of pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A dad joke. Which, to be honest, I didn't get on the first viewing. It's only when I was recording the little scene that I understood. <laughs> so a real thing for me, but... I don't think this scene really needs any introduction whatsoever, so we're just going to play it. And I think this is actually the best scene in the film, which I'm not that happy about, I guess. <laughs> roll it, Matt. Roll it. Lieutenant, why weren't the original indictment papers placed in my portfolio? Why, uh, I didn't think those papers were important at this time, Your Excellency. You didn't think they were important? Do you realize I had my dessert wrapped in those papers? Here, take this bottle back and get two cents for it. Hello, boss. Ciccolini, I bet you eight to one we find you guilty. That's no good. I can get ten to one at the barbershop. Ciccolini, you're charged with high treason. And if found guilty, you'll be shot. I object. Oh, you object. On what grounds? I couldn't think of anything else to say. 
Objection sustained. Your Excellency, you sustained the objection. Sure, I couldn't think of anything else to say either. Why don't you object? Chicolini, when were you born? I don't remember. I was just a little baby. Isn't it true you tried to sell Fredonia's secret war code and plans? Sure, I sold the code and two pair of plans. <laughs> it's some joke, eh, boss? No, I bet you're 20 to one we find you guilty. Ciccolini, have you anyone here to defend you? It's no use. I even offered to pay as high as $18, but I know could I get somebody to defend me. My friends, this man's case moves me deeply. Look at Ciccolini. He sits there alone. An abject figure. I abject. I say, look at Ciccolini. He sits there alone. A pitiable object. Let's see you get out of that one. Surrounded by a sea of unfriendly faces. Ciccolini, give me a number from one to ten. Eleven. Right. Now I ask you one. What is it has a trunk but no key? Weighs 2,000 pounds and lives in a circus. That's irrelevant. Irrelevant? Hey, that's the answer. There's a whole lot of relevance in the circus. That sort of testimony we can eliminate. That's a fine. I'll take some. You'll take what? Eliminate. A nice cold glass eliminate. Hey, boss, I'm going to good. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, Ciccolini here may talk like an idiot and look like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. Okay, so some of these are pretty funny, but it's not the very quick banter that Groucho and whoever's playing opposite him usually have. Mm-hmm. I also feel like there were scenes in which I could see Groucho reading cue cards off camera. No, really? Yeah, I think it was in, during the first musical, actually, that I saw him looking in a place <laughs> where it was like, there's no reason ah! for him to be doing this. And it was just really disconcerting because it just, he already felt to me that he was uncomfortable doing the singing and doing yeah. the like little dances. And also, I guess that takes me to the larger point of why is there any singing in this film whatsoever? I don't, you know what, when they started singing at the beginning, I was like, oh, I guess we're singing now. You know what's weird, Ethan? There is more singing in this film than a film called A Night at the Opera. Is that, oh my God, it's wild. It's a, this is such a strange film. I actually have a note here that says, Oh, I, I guess we're singing now. Okay, I don't like this. <laughs> and then when Groucho started singing and dancing, I said, "Oh wait, I hate this." <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm I don't disagree with you. So put it that way, Ethan. Why don't we quickly go through our theses and then get to what I think will be the meat of this episode? Our three questions. Well, let's do it because, man, I don't have one. I don't know what the fuck this movie is about. What there's. It's nonsensical. There's, I, there's, let me, let me just lay this out to you this way. I think that this film is making, you know, some sort of political satire about war and the failure of government, but I have trouble really, and maybe it's because I don't know my 30s history uh, as well as I could, but I had a lot of trouble, like, linking this to anything other than i guess some world war one commentary i think well it's going to be anticipating world war two to a degree right it's 1933 yeah, the war's yeah. gonna start very soon five six years right so there is definitely you know nazism is already rising or has risen as mm-hmm. told by cabaret right yeah. and 
we're very much in a world where war is a looming possibility. And so a satire about war is probably really effective in 1933, but it just doesn't hold up to their 1937 film, which is 37 or 35 Night of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I can tell you, though. It is 1935. Okay, so 1935, it's much closer to the war, and I don't know. I find that film to be far more effective, at least today, right? So yeah. I actually just pose a question for my thesis because, again, like you, there's not a whole lot to say in terms of what this film is doing. So I say, isn't this just a worse night at the opera with better <laughs> special effects? I, I think the answer may be yes. <laughs> and I think we can kind of put meat on those bones in our three questions. Yeah. So let's ask the first one. Do we care about this film? Um, surprisingly, my answer is yes. And I think we do because uh, this will anticipate one of the other questions, so I'm not going to get too much into it. But I think that there is a lot of you know, gags and things that come out of this. Uh, that we take for granted now and that have become hackneyed um, and no longer seem original. So I think in terms of what it does for physical comedy and and how it sets up our understanding of slapstick, I, I think we have to care about it a little bit. But that's really where my line is drawn. I think I'm taking an alternate tack than you. And I think, no, I don't care about this film because I think... Night at the Opera does it better, and there's a lot of that physical comedy slapstick that is just as good, if not better. I, I keep going back to that ship room scene where everyone keeps coming in, keeps coming in, yes. and just the choreography of that. And I'll talk a little bit more about choreography later, but I think I'm to the point now where I need to be thinking about, do we care about this as viewers in 2018? And yeah. I think with that in mind, I'm going to say no. Yeah, and you know, it. I think that it is fair of us to continue to compare this to night at the opera because night at the opera as you've pointed out if only for the scene on the ship with the people in the room i mean that is such a masterfully choreographed masterfully filmed fantastic scene and this film doesn't really have that it doesn't have a comparable uh piece except for maybe the ridiculous war scene but i don't think it's i don't think it's nearly as effective or funny unfortunately i just don't think this film really has a sense of glee in what it's doing which i think night the opera definitely does mm-hmm. yeah so what do we owe to this film well i the most obvious answer to that question i think is the is the mirror scene the where uh i don't even know if it was harpo or chico one of them breaks the mirror um, and he's in Mar- uh, Groucho's outfit, and he has to pretend as though he is the reflection in the mirror. Um, and and it's an extended segment, and that has been imitated, uh, duplicated, any uh, whatever, under, uh, any word under the sun, uh, millions of times, hundreds and thousands of times. I mean, everybody knows that 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 joke. Um, and so we absolutely owe that to this scene or to this film. Um, also, I don't want to go so far as to say we owe this because I read a little bit that this is not the original 
point of this, but the phrase, this means war, um, has been incorrectly attributed to this film hmm. as its as its origin point. Um, so I would argue that this film probably helps to help bring that into the fold, right? Into the, into the modern parlance. Um, and I guess some of the other slapsticky stuff, you know, but again, it's when we compare it to night at the opera, it's hard. I think you're right. And to further add on to that, I will say the choreography in this film is pretty good. Those scenes that we found completely and wholly unnecessary Mm -hmm. with the lemonade vendor, those are appear to be mostly single shots of mm-hmm. them doing this pretty sophisticated choreography between three individuals. The same is true of that mirror scene, except for there's clearly a break when Groucho goes back behind the wall and does like a thinking motion for a second. Yeah. So we've got the break there, but it's also not perfect mirroring, but there are instances where you think like, wow, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, and I and I think that I think the thing about the mirror scene is this: if that was the first time we'd ever seen that, I think it would be hilarious and fantastic. But it has been done so many times in so many ways. You know, I, I'm going to throw a little shout out to another podcast that that I really enjoy called "You Must Remember This," which is about um, the history of Hollywood. Uh, and I listened to a segment or a set of episodes, a season, I guess, where they talk about Bela Lugosi and um, what's his name that plays Frankenstein? You got me. Boris Karloff. Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. And they talk a lot, or the the I guess it's just one person. She talks a lot about how um, the monster movies of early Hollywood, you know, begin as these really groundbreaking things where, you know, you see Bela Lugosi going, you know, Ivan Tosakir, blah, 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 right? And and when that comes out, it's it's groundbreaking. It's fantastic. He's like this sort of, he's this seductive, sexy character. But within his lifetime, he's he becomes a parody of himself, playing parodies of himself in films. Um, it, it turns so quickly because it's imitated so often. And I think that that's sort of what we get with this mirror scene this mirror scene is was probably so good at the time that that the breakdown where it, it doesn't quite mirror anymore probably was less of an issue because it was so novel now that it's not novel we can sit here and and critique it and be like it they can't even do it perfectly you know mm-hmm. yeah which so, i think says a lot to the third question and yes you know does this film hold up which I would say, in addition to some of the special effects, so the ones I'm thinking of are, what is it, the dog that comes out of Harpo's chest to bark? Yes, yeah. That was surprisingly good. And also some of the war stuff, we see guns firing, is actually pretty decent as well. Right. But again, the dog, the whole that whole gag with the tattoos on Harpo's body doesn't, it's just a funny joke. It doesn't have anything to do with the film. It doesn't have anything to do with the characters. It's just a funny joke. Um, and then we never see it again. So that, I think, is kind of the prop. So I guess I'm bleeding into our third question, does this hold up? And part of the problem is that they the jokes don't always hold up because they don't have anything to do with the, fi- with the rest of the film. Yeah, and I think I could imagine 
a listener that says, oh, well, they're being unfair. The Marx Brothers are never about, you know, doing stuff that is supposed to be relevant in the film. But I will say for two spies, Chico and Harpo do very little spying. There's that one scene in Teasdale's house that they have the spying occurring. And that's actually pretty funny. And I thought if they hewed a little more closely to things like that, I think this actually would be a more enjoyable film. Yeah, I... it, it's just hard with this film to really praise it when Night at the Opera was so much better. Um, yeah, I mean, I and we can, you know, we don't speculate in general, almost as a rule, about why films end up where they do on the list uh, and, and what have you. Although, but I think this is perhaps a special case. And I think part of the reason that this one is lauded probably has to do with some of the political commentary that's happening here. But as a viewer who's seen A Night at the Opera, and I mean, we've we've watched 41 other films on this list, and this one is certainly on the weaker end of all of that, unfortunately. I want to ask you an additional question here, Ethan. Ask me. If you had seen this before Night at the Opera, do you think your opinion would be changed about it? Um, only a little bit because I did I did laugh at quite a few of the jokes here, um, and I do think that that some of the slapstick and some of these jokes really do hold up. I think, like you said, you know the the uh, peanut popcorn lemonade scene is is pretty funny, um, but. It's just such a rough-hewn amalgamation of, of sketches that, I yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I probably would have felt a little better about it, but not a whole lot. I definitely think I would have enjoyed this a good deal more if yeah. I had seen this first, but have then, you know, I do think that once seeing Night at the Opera, I would be like, wow, this is much better. So, yeah, it's it's tough, um, but sometimes that's the way it goes. And this is the way I go, because I've been Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And I guess there'll be spoilers. <sighs> there will be spoilers. No, that's bad. Hold on. Let me think. I don't even know. What would be a good gag from this stupid film? I don't know if there is one. Maybe I should say there will be spoilers, and then you should say there will be spoilers like me, like the mirror scene. I don't think that would play at all. <laughs> I, I, I like the resigned, the, the fact that you just were like, there will be spoilers, and you're like, I'm not even trying. I, I think actually what you should do is play at least part of this conversation (laughs) yeah somewhere i'll look at it and see if there's a reason there will be spoilers 100 films 100 podcasts was created and hosted by matt bazell and me ethan knight matt bazell produces our episodes each week our music was created by the strange and unusual breakmaster cylinder who you can find all over the internet our artwork was created by becca knight who can be found on twitter at becca the knight that's knight with a k you can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast. 
you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. Spoilers.